Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Crime Stoppers Victoria podcast. It's Saritha Viswasam here. Welcome to part three of our five-part series on elder abuse. Today, we continue our chat with Senior Sergeant Alastair Gall and Detective Senior Sergeant Matthew Russell of Victoria Police's Family Violence Command. In this episode, we learn about the newly implemented financial elder abuse trial that is being conducted by Victoria Police to address financial abuse on elder persons. We then dive into a series of in-depth examples of financial elder abuse to gain a broader understanding on the scope of financial advantages perpetrators of this crime have conducted on elder persons. Hope you enjoy the discussion. For the benefit of our listeners, if you can provide a bit more detail regarding the financial elder abuse trial, uh, just to um, yeah put it all into perspective as far as why um, it's in place and, and what it seeks to accomplish. Yeah, the trial came about as a result of the Family Violence uh, Royal Commission. Is the recommendation of uh, the Royal Commission into Family Violence, Recommendation 155, stated that Victoria Police with advice from the Priority Community Division, which is an arm of Victoria Police, scope options for a trial of a dedicated family violence and elder response team in one police local service area. The team should have the capacity to investigate financial abuse. So we scoped out the options for a trial, and one police service area is essentially one local government area. For example, Matt covers four local government areas, so for argument's sake, we could run the trial in just the city of Whitehorse. But we recognised uh, through data and uh, our, uh, our relationships with a lot of different uh, agencies that this is um, a hidden crime and a hidden um, uh, potentially uh, is a lot deeper than, than what may be we're aware of. So what Victoria Police have done or Family Violence um, Command have done, we've put it in this trial into five police divisions. So we're looking at uh, the Bendigo Police Division known as WD5, Western Division 5, which essentially covers from Kyneton through to uh, Bendigo to Echuca. Eastern Region, uh, Division 5, which is based at... uh, main town is Maul, but also covers Warrigal and the Basque Coast, Wonthaggy, Phillip Island area, and then two metropolitan areas, Eastern Divisions 1 and 2, which we're treating as one site, so that's uh, uh, inner and outer Melbourne, and also Southern Division 4, which is your Frankston, Mornington Peninsula area. So Victoria Police has 21 police divisions, we've got the trial running in five, so essentially a quarter of the state is now 
active in this trial. We've uh, recently just gone through an evaluation and it's been quite encouraging and uh, I think the plan would be to uh, at some stage roll it out incrementally to other police divisions within the state. So that's how the trial formulated. Uh, there was certain uh, areas we, we concentrated on. We looked at um, Morwell, for example, and also Mornington Peninsula because they had the Orange Door, which is the main uh, referral agency centre. There's going to be 17 Orange Doors when they're all uh, fully deployed by Family Safety Victoria, and also they were part of... Uh, the Department of uh, Families, Fairness and Housing's integrated model of care. We looked at Matt's area in Eastern Division 1 and the adjoining division, Eastern Division 2, which is Croydon, Ringwood, Lilydale area, Knox area, mainly because Eastern Community Legal Centre had an existing strong network of um, over 100 agencies. And then we looked at that Bendigo area for isolation. Uh, also an Orange Doors was planned and has recently opened, but particularly with the, the rural um, aspect of it and the country aspect, elders, once they're out of the main town, can become very isolated in some of these country areas, both Morwell area and also Bendigo area. So that was the reasoning behind we chose those those particular areas. Mm, well, uh, that, that's quite insightful. And, and, yeah, getting that broader perspective on how, what's happening within the community would certainly be beneficial. As far as what you've noticed, what sort of uh, things have you identified that you would say that have been a result of implementing this trial? Okay, I guess with the, with the trial, um, the main objectives of the trial was to develop a suite of tools, information to support the identification of particularly financial elder abuse, but if other abuses identified, certainly we will uh, you know, address that as well, and to provide response options for police support services and the healthcare sector. So what we're what we're finding is that areas of financial abuse are very difficult to police and to address because often there's a lack of formal written uh, financial agreements between the older person and a family member. Say mum or dad's given a loan out to a son or daughter for argument's sake and there may be a, a need for that money to be repaid for that older person but there's no documentation. So that leaves that older person potentially displaced. Um, claims of mis misunderstanding between uh, the family members and the wishes of their older person and abuse of delegated authority, as Matt was saying, with powers of attorney. So they're the main areas that we, we seem to be coming across with financial abuse. And then also just that in misinterpretation, maybe coercion or that older person feels obligated through threats or fear or intimidation because a lot of family violence is based on power, control and domination of a person and this is particularly emphasised with that older person and uh, sometimes, as I said earlier, I think signing as guarantor for a loan on a, a, a business or a, some sort of project that may fail and that older person has, uh, is committed to the funds and potentially could be homeless if they have to sell the family home to uh, pay off that debt. So essentially that's what specific cases, uh, a couple directly from the trial and one just slightly before the trial, but it, it's, it just shows a pattern of behaviour and abuse of, um, of documentation, powers of attorney, etc. So Matt, um, as far as the trial being underway in the Box Hill region, Eastern Division 1 and 2, 
what observations have you made being really on the front line? Um, it's just been being from Vicpol perspective, having somebody on at the end of the phone that you can discuss a matter with. So I suppose um, this has been running for 12 months and, and just my um, my contact with the support agencies, um, maybe outside, outside of any sort of formal referral or crime reporting, is just providing advice in relation to how they best can assist uh, the person, the older person that uh, has come to their agency for assistance. So... Um, yeah, that's probably the main thing. It's just been really through the through the trial. It's just um, enhanced communication between the areas and, and streamlining our sort of approach together. So we're all working collaboratively in relation to um, you know, assisting persons. You know, we have to take into account what the person's wishes are as well. What the yep. what the victim or the older person's wishes are about how they want to um, approach this problem. And a lot of the time, it is it is that they just want the behaviour to stop or the impact on them to stop? Because I guess with um, the, the victims, um, the elder people, that they, uh, I guess, are kind of might be embarrassed that they're getting taken advantage of and therefore they might be reluctant to express uh, that is taking place. So Yeah, but also, you know, it, it, it can be identify, uh, identification of further abuse financial further abuse as I say once we have contact then we can make an assessment of uh, the level of risk that this person may be feeling there may be aspects outside of the uh, the financial area that's extending to that psychological that dominance as, uh, as Alice speaks to any physical abuse that um, uh, may be uh, taking place and and obviously then from a policing perspective once we do that identification where we move outside of this referral advice sort of and moving to you know any civil options in relation to intervention orders and the, and the formal protection of that person and then escalating further to any uh, any criminal activity so um yeah so alistair in as far as the case studies it would be terrific to learn of what what is actually taking place and, and what have you discovered okay this is a, a case that uh finalised last September 2020 and it concerned um, a son who uh, stole essentially $540,000 from uh, his uh, dying father's bank account which he blew away on gambling, legal fees and a new boat and he actually uh, got uh, two years jail after pleading guilty to theft. So essentially the background of it it happened um, in the outer eastern suburbs and um, he was made power of attorney of his father's um, for his father, on behalf of his father. And his father had Parkinson's-related dementia, which basically rendered him incapable of making reasonable decisions. A family dispute occurred uh, concerning access to the father, and uh, the son arranged for his father to be moved to a permanent aged care facility. So there's been an internal family dispute over, I guess, the care of the father, and then the the offender sister became suspicious and her brother... um, it was uh, t- removed as the power of attorney in April 2016. New administrators of uh, the father's uh, affairs soon discovered or unearthed the numerous financial irregularities. So essentially what he had been doing was using the, the power of attorney and siphoned essentially $540,000 into several bank accounts between June 2014 and April 2016 and um, as his father was 
incapacitated and he subsequently passed away. So his mother's still alive but really left with no, no assets as the son had abused the, you know, uh, his father and basically abused that power of attorney, didn't act in good faith or in the best interests of his father and blew the money on gambling, drugs and buying a new boat. Um, so essentially he um, has blown away his mother's, uh, not so much inheritance because it's a joint partnership, but the money and assets the, the mother had. And I don't know how, what the, the mother's uh, current situation would be, but I'd say it would be some sort of form of uh, certainly financial inconvenience, to put it bluntly, and also probably be relying on uh, other family members for her support. Mm. So that was, um, uh, as I say, sentenced 2020. But what it also showed is, I'm not sure when it was actually reported to police, but it takes quite a while for a matter, if reported to police, it's basically a paper trail to find the documentations, uh, documentation to find out all the various transactions and then go through the legal process can take some time. So the, the benefit of our trial is that early intervention and early notification so at least we can protect that person's assets, stop any potential offending and as Matt's alluded to, if we need to take out certain civil actions and if there's enough there, uh, we can prove criminal intent, bearing in mind that criminal intent needs to be beyond reasonable doubt, uh, we will do that in, with uh, supportive agencies. Yeah, yeah, certainly from the criminal front, there's that dishonesty element that's, that's a challenge for you know, prosecution in relation to a, a matter. And um, whilst we may have banking records, uh, it's a lack of documentation, lack of agreement, um, whether formal or, or informal, between the parties, um, so is always a challenge for us, and obviously different versions. Um, you know, it's whether a, an older person's minded to, you know, even keep notes or, you know, engage uh, their own legal representation in ensuring that they get their um, matters uh, and their affairs in order. Um, you find a lot of the time is that the person that's actually facilitating perhaps that that um, legal advice to them or a family member taking them uh, is often you know, involved in the subsequent offending and has good knowledge of how the affairs are set into place. So, yeah, it's certainly certainly quite challenging and as, um, as uh, Alistair alludes to, I think frauds more generally uh, are complex and they do take some time to, um, to sort through. Mm. And the trial... When we compared to a lot of uh, Victoria Police initiatives, and I just think of road safety over you know the next uh, long weekends coming up, Queen's Birthday weekend, there'll be a traffic blitz, and we're all interested in how many tickets may have been issued, how many offences or whatever. But for the for our trial, success may be determined by securing the safety of the victim and their effort, a- assets, whether we've needed to uh, engage uh, civil action through a safety notice or intervention order or criminal investigation, as we've really harped on the engagement with uh, local services to ensure that the victim has access to services appropriate to their their needs. You know, even basic things as regular meals and home cleaning, increased awareness among all the agencies involved in their trial in identifying factors that contribute to elder abuse. In particular, we're focusing on financial elder abuse, but elder abuse uh, collectively. And, the, and that's the beauty of the trial because a lot of agencies knew of each other's existence 
that maybe had not worked together previously. We have local working groups within each of the trial sites, but there was also some agencies didn't know they each other existed, and the, the, the parties getting together in a unified and uh, coordinated manner has been very, very uh, humbling, and, and uh, you know, it's uh, a very good outcome for that victim and also assists us because it gives us reference points as well. So the trial is very hard to quantify what a success is. It, yeah, it will be driven by you know, criminal investigations to a degree, but it's that you know informal phone call. It's that communication and dealing with it's hard to quantify. Mm. Oh, certainly, certainly. Yeah. I think it's just been interesting our engagement, uh, specifically through the through the banking network yeah. as well. Um, those points of contact that uh, elder people have in the community through health as well, through their doctors. So there's now you know, a process that running through Eastern Health that's a part of, um, a part of our lo- local working group as well. Um, the council touch points as well that they have in community support for older people. So, uh, and it is, it's, it's, you know, it's, it, it's a great um, setting we have with our local working group as we all get within the room, we discuss perhaps, you know, um, different situations that may present it, not specifically, you know, um, you know, de-identifying, but how would how would this work uh, for you? And then we'd have our input in. Well, we'd look at it this way. They'd look at it this way. And it's um, yeah, it's it's uh, fantastic just getting everybody in the same room and just discussing the issue. Mm, that's that's excellent. I guess from a public standpoint, policing uh, these type of instances is is an area of interest. With What's the process when someone comes in to report elder abuse? So say they came, wanted to come into the station and, and report that their son or daughter or, or other family member is, is you know treating them a certain way, maybe isolating them or, or yeah, in respect to their finances, uh, taking advantage of them. The person in charge might come with them to the station. Like how, does, how are matters like that uh, addressed? Yeah, it is a challenge. So you, you know, and, and if you take uh, if you take the reception at a police station, all police are you know receive a lot of training in relation to family violence from recruit training, and then in different touch points throughout their career in relation to um, family violence. So discussion at that point would then cause for a report, which is known as an L seventeen, uh, to be submitted. Um, and then that subsequently goes through a, a triaging process where um, people from a, a specialist area like Family Violence Investigation Unit or through the local sergeant who has that portfolio I mentioned earlier would really do a good assessment and be able to identify um, what concerns there may be. The challenge of them coming in to the police station together, yes, that exists. Um, one of the great tools that police always do is we separate parties. We try to separate parties and, and speak so we get an, a, um, uh, a fair indication of um, you know each other's versions of events. But yeah, no, that is a challenge. Mm. That is a challenge through this. Yeah, it, it is difficult, um, and also you may have different cultural issues, language issues, etc. Um, as far as uh, you know, communication, as Matt says, we could separate the parties, but there may be cognitive issues or limited English. Um, so what I do when I go out to stations and speak at presentations to various um, divisions or whatever, I encourage particularly with the, any elder abuse type cases that uh, when they come to uh, the counter is uh, that uh, the, the supervisor who would be the section sergeant at the station be informed 
to seek that uh, little bit of more experience because you've got to remember that there may be um, uh, a person at the counter who's only had maybe less than 12 months' experience of, and maybe not uh, fully aware, even though they've gone through family violence training, etc., through the academy, maybe not fully confident of um, the nuances that are involved with elder abuse and the factors in play. So what I try and do is encourage... And through our family violence training offices, we've got 21 training officers throughout the state, 21 police divisions, we've got one for each division, to, uh, they're certainly spreading the message that particularly for financial abuse or elder abuse per se, that a supervisor get actively involved, active oversight. Because often uh, it's easy to say, well, maybe there's nothing we can do, but if we dig that little bit deeper and yes, spend, invest that time, and maybe if it's uh, English as a second language, we get that telephone interpreter service and we can investigate it. And certainly Victoria Police, it's that continuous learning and we're certainly in a far better place than we probably were five to ten years ago in this in this uh, space. Yeah, well, that, that's great to hear. In terms of aged care settings, uh, what can you say about elder abuse taking place and how it's managed? Yeah, aged care, we've recently had the aged care or Royal Commission into aged care facilities, so I'd be uh, saying that there'll be significant policy change and structure change you know, for um, at those facilities to report incidents to uh, to Victoria Police. Uh, a lot of the aged care facilities um, already report incidents of uh, abuse to an older person, whether it's been committed by potentially uh, a staff member, a family member may have... Uh, witnessed that uh, there has been some abuse by a, a staff member and that's been reported to police. Or conversely, it, it could be um, uh, the, age, the facility uh, reporting to Victoria Police that a family member's come in to visit their older person and some sort of argument or some sort of dispute has taken place. So it is very difficult to, uh, to police. We do rely a lot on the, uh, the facilities contacting uh, Victoria Police and to uh, to investigate any incidents of abuse, as I say, whether it's uh, by a, a staff member, for example, or whether there's been some sort of family violence incident within the complex of that area. Certainly a, a lot of the aged care facilities, I, I believe, are, um, uh, uh, are in... Uh, certain networks within uh, the health health area, uh, for example, but it's uh, probably one area that as we move forward uh, post the Aged Care Royal Commission that Victoria Police and policing in all jurisdictions will probably get more actively involved with as these networks, like we've done with our trial, uh, develop and the, the issues come forward, highlighted. But certainly if uh, it's taken seriously, if... Um, uh, a facility reports a, a case if it's a family member between family members uh, more than likely the uh, family violence investigation units will have active oversight on it because as part of their concept of operations and part of their responsibility they have they uh, look and triage and uh, monitor incidents where there's a, a family member involved in a family violence incident 65 years or more as part of their day to day function if it's a staff member against a patient or a resident of that facility, again, it may go to the Family Violence Investigation Unit uh, uh, first off, initially, and then it may get transferred to the Criminal Investigation Unit. But the important thing, it's reported to police 
and actions are taken, but there's also a responsibility on the facility to provide Victoria Police sufficient information to begin a, an investigation mm. as well. Okay. Oh, well, that's good to know. And as far as any other examples uh, that you'd like to walk us through that relate to elder abuse, be it financial or uh, otherwise, e.g. emotional, physical, is there any you'd like to um, go through with us? Yeah, this... I will call it elder abuse in so much it's a neighbour who, who targeted uh, an older person who lived by themselves. So uh, to some degree there was maybe no uh, relationship as such other than very strong friendship. So technically I think it falls under family violence because there was a reliance on uh, between the victim and also that uh, offender. So this happened in, um, in the Gippsland area. It was John. The names have been changed, so we'll call him John. He was in his 80s and he lived alone. He had no known other family members and had significant cognitive issues. John was befriended by a neighbour, Lorraine, who was in her 40s. Uh, Lorraine did shopping and house cleaning uh, to help John out and she regularly visited John for coffee, cake and chats. So a good, strong, that good neighbour concept. But one day... Uh, Lorraine found some antique watches and jewellery which began, uh, which belonged to John's late wife and she took those jewellery, uh, that jewellery and began selling these items online. She also convinced John to disclose his bank account details. So part of um, uh, elder abuse is that, br- that trust relationship. So, yes, in this situation, John obviously trusted uh, Lorraine and so... She's, he's given the bank details so she can assist him to pay bills online. She realised John had saved a significant amount of money, so she started transferring weekly payments to a bank account that she created under a different name, essentially under her control. Then one day uh, Lorraine took John to the local solicitor so he could change his will. But the solicitor refused as he recognised that John wasn't capable of making an informed decision due to his cognitive issues. Lorraine also produced a passport and birth certificate to prove that she was the last remaining relative. Those documents were later found to be false, but the solicitor still refused the document as, as I just stated, it was false. So after Lorraine left with John, the solicitor remembered that she had been to his office about a year ago with another older person, so same type of pattern behaviour, with a similar request. The solicitor... Fortunately, contacted the police. The police attended for a risk, what we call a risk assessment welfare check and arranged application for an intervention order and got local services uh, involved to address John's needs and prevent that person from coming to the family home. And then police assisted uh, John uh, once the intervention order was granted and a guardianship order was put in place and then his affairs We've then um, managed, got in contact with state trustees and state trustees are now managing uh, his uh, assets. So that's a good case of um, that good neighbour, and I'll use that in quotation marks, of basically identifying a very vulnerable person. If we stretch the act, it covers family violence, I believe, because there was some sort of relationship and some sort of trust involved. But fortunately, the solicitor was switched on and reported the matter to police, and we had a successful outcome. Oh, that's terrific. Well, what happened in terms of the money she made from selling the watches and the like? That had been spent, 
and uh, I, I can't recall, but I presume there would be some sort of uh, payment order uh, for, issued by the court. But in getting that, it becomes a civil matter, and often in these cases, the, the amount of funds, the, the cost in trying to uh, get that person to pay for it probably outweighs what may have been taken. Mm. But in saying that, it's just a, really a, a classic case of a, essentially an older person being targeted, and that older person... In this case, had uh, cognitive issues, lived by himself and no other family members, but she got to know his circumstances quite uh, adequately to uh, uh, basically take the place of a family member to that solicitor. Well, that, that's um, it's great that you know th- it got stopped and um, the solicitor actually played an important role in with all yeah. that. But as I say, as we go back, there's that early intervention, police got notified, we did a, a, a risk assessment welfare check with an agency, stopped the behaviour, as uh, Matt was saying earlier, nipped it in the bud to protect his assets and any other future offending to him. But who's to know that the offending may continue with another vulnerable person, but certainly she's been brought before the, the courts and a sanction, uh, sanction made. Oh, and, and are we aware of what the sanction was? No, I can't, I can't recall. Um, I don't think it was a custodial sentence. I think it was a fine and some sort of a good behaviour type bond or a, uh, um, maybe a community corrections order from that point of view. She certainly was convicted, so mm. I think it may have been a, a community corrections order. Okay. Oh, well, so, so that, yeah, that's... Well, it's good to see that um, that be stopped. And the, the third example that you were going to share with us? So the next case study I've got involves um, a widowed lady. Names, again, have been changed. Uh, Sue, who's in her 80s and lived with her daughter, Rachel. Sue cannot walk unaided and requires a walker to assist with her balance and movement within the house. She receives income through a pension and a small rental income. Her daughter is the main carer. Her daughter was 59. Sue gave her son, Jake, an enduring medical power of attorney. When Sue was hospitalised, Jake went to the hospital where his sister, Rachel, provided him with a letter stating that he was no longer acting as the medical attorney for their mother. Jake went to see Rachel to discuss the matter. He found the home in disrepair with boxes in every room, unwashed dishes in the sink. Jake contacted the local council, who had been providing services to his mum, the council aged care officer made a visit and was concerned with the living conditions that Sue was experiencing. So they were, they were both hoarders. Given that she used a walking frame to get round the house, um, it was very difficult for movement and safety issues were involved should there be a, some sort of emergency within the house. So we did a, uh, a proactive visit uh, with uh, the police. Uh, and it was obvious there was some form of control in place, places. Any questions uh, was asked to Sue, Rachel answered. It was observed that Sue always looked at Rachel before she spoke. It was discovered that Rachel was using the food service, so mum was getting meals on wheels, but Sue, uh, Rachel, the, the daughter, was actually eating the food. Of concern was the designer clothes that Rachel was wearing and a number of other clothes in the wardrobe, considering that she was not working, other red flags or warnings or indicators that Sue had not uh, been able to shower due to the clutter, mobility issues, and Rachel had not been taking her to the hydrotherapy appointments to assist in the uh, recovery from a recent fall. Police contacted Jake, got some further information uh, regarding the financial arrangements between the parties, and Rachel 
it was found Rachel was authorised to access her mother's credit card. It was discovered that Rachel was spending thousands of uh, dollars each month on mum's card, about $4,000. Statements were uh, obtained with intelligence uh, from the local council. Uh, we were able to build, the police were able to build a picture of suspected elder abuse and neglect and then the police applied to the court for a, a, an interim intervention order which was granted and uh, the Family Violence Investigation Unit uh, referred Sue to state trustees for further advice and subsequently um, uh, a new power of attorney was uh, uh, made and Jake was uh, uh, the, the person looking after that. But at what the case highlights is various agencies working together that the older person's cared for, her assets protected, there's a common theme there, and as Matt said earlier, to disrupt the cycle of abuse and there is an ongoing investigation. Subsequently, there's been a couple of breaches of the intervention order, and uh, Rachel's uh, going to appear before the courts regarding that. Mm. Oh, wow. So that's um, it's good to see that those pieces were uh, put together, and they're terrific case studies to learn. Uh, I, I reckon when you can see what is going on, the way you've illustrated uh, those particular pieces in the um, situation... I guess it gives the listener, our listeners, the ability to identify. Oh, you know, what is happening in this example is something that might be happening to someone they know. Oh, exactly right. But what I think each of the the, the case studies I've presented was uh, where the police got involved and essentially involved other agencies as well. Some were referred to. Um, some was a direct uh, referral. The first one with the, the son. Uh, but it's that partnership approach to protect that older person mm. and holding the perpetrators to account. Well, that's good to hear. And and before we go, it's been terrific to speak to uh, both of you in relation to elder abuse and financial abuse to our elder citizens. What uh, advice can you provide to the public uh, in relation to the, this issue? And, and are there any final comments you'd like to make? I guess if uh, you've got an older person that may be living next door or a couple of houses down, be a good neighbour, go and do that regular check. They may be living by themselves. They may not have that many visitors. And a good sign of maybe something may be amiss if the garden all of a sudden is unkept or the mail has not been uh, taken in or there's junk mail in the letterbox, knock on the door. If you've got concerns, ring triple zero. The police can come round, do a check, make sure that person is okay. On occasions, you might be next door and you hear and you see maybe a, a, a family member come. You know it's you know the, their son. Then all of a sudden you hear shouting or something. If you feel concerned, ring triple zero. Yeah, your call can still remain anonymous, but again, it's recorded, uh, and we can dispatch a unit there straight away. But Essentially, it's like that neighbourhood watch. Keep an eye on those older older people because they are vulnerable. And uh, certainly, uh, if there's any change in the, the circumstances visually and you've got concerns, ring triple zero. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably just add, whilst, you know, obviously specifically we've been speaking about elder abuse today, so family violence more, more, more generally. generally yeah. um, just to suggest if you do have a concern, about somebody you know, somebody you love, somebody you have some association with, please don't think about reporting and, and feel some reluctance to. Just report it because there are, uh, as I say, whether it's to police or 
or whether another avenue. Um, we will deal with it accordingly, whether it's through referral services, whether it's assessment of risk and look at, at uh, uh, more um, stringent sort of uh, uh, civil orders we can look at or whether it's a criminal investigation, just to suggest that people report it. There is assistance out there. These aren't, um, these aren't on uncommon situations. So, you know, you might have a person that thinks... Um, I'm one out here, I'm, I'm, no one else in the community is experiencing this. That's not the case. And there are avenues for reporting, as I say, whether it's police or in specifics in relation to, you know, elder abuse. That um, Those Senior Rights uh, Victoria is, uh, is a one-stop shop uh, that can assist. And also your, your local government areas, um, you know, specific for my area where I am at it uh, in the in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. As I say, we've got EDVOS, the uh, Eastern Domestic Violence Outreach Service, uh, local council arrangements or Eastern Community Legal Centre. Um, Al, more, more generally statewide? More, more generally of statewide, you know, mentioned Seniors Rights Victoria, we've got state trustees, even the Office of Public Advocate, it's the place of last resort, but they're a good, they'll certainly put that the caller or the person that's reporting it in contact with a, an appropriate area. If it's that bad that it needs immediate police response, triple zero each and every time. Your call's recorded and uh, it's uh, it then will get dispatched to appropriate police unit or if you even want to remain anonymous, contact Crime Stoppers. Excellent. Um, that, that's great to hear so many avenues uh, of assistance. It's been terrific to speak to both you, Alistair and Matt. I'm sure our listeners have found it very insightful and valuable um, in terms of what they've learned from both of you. And uh, we appreciate you joining the Crime Stoppers Victoria podcast today. Thanks for having us. All right. Thank you very much. Terrific to chat with Senior Sergeant Alistair Gall and Detective Senior Sergeant Matthew Russell of Victoria Police. Great to learn in depth about the financial elder abuse trial and how it seeks to help protect elder persons from being victims of financial abuse. Please visit police.vic.gov.au forward slash elder hyphen abuse for further information relating to Victoria Police and its advice on elder abuse. Hope you are enjoying our elder abuse podcast series. In our next episode, we speak with Dr. John Chesterman of the Office of the Public Advocate to learn on their role with the prevention and protection of abuse to elder persons. Thank you for listening to the Crime Stoppers Victoria podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.